Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Scripture reading for today comes from the book of Ruth, chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonged to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now, listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and come to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, need some bread, and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it out for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until you have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Hesed love. And we pray, God, that we would see uh, that Hesed love for ourselves uh, this morning. That we would know it and we would experience it. And Lord, it would make us into a people who want uh, to do Hesed love to others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I have a, a friend who said something uh, one time that, that really stuck with me. And he said it in the context of someone being really upset and angry about the way that their life had gone. And uh, what he said was, you can say you're done with God, but that doesn't mean God's done with you. And I think that in many ways, that could be the best summary you will ever hear of the book of Ruth in the Bible. Because as we saw last week, and if you weren't here, uh, Naomi, who's one of the main characters or the the story revolves around her in the book of Ruth, her life had fallen apart. Her husband died. And then not too long after that, she lost her only two sons. So she's a widow. And she was living as a refugee in the land of Moab. And as we talked a little bit about it last week, the history of the relationship between Israelites and Moabites was not good. A history of hatred and violence. So there she is living as a refugee in the land of Moab with two daughters-in-laws, but no sons, no husband. And uh, finally, she hears the news uh, that God had been pouring out his blessing on the land of Israel And she decides to come home. But Naomi brings her bitterness with her. And in fact, when she arrives in Bethlehem, she arrives as an empty and hopeless person. Or at least so she thought. Because the truth is, and it was found in the first sign we get in this book of Ruth, that wasn't the case at all. God had sent Ruth to her side as an agent of his love. Now, the story of the book of Ruth is actually a story about Naomi and the work of God in her life. Actually, the story about God's love for Naomi. And it's a special kind of love. A love that we talked about uh, last week. It's called Hesed love. Hesed love is a love that doesn't give up. It doesn't walk away. It keeps going at all costs. And it is a love that God not only has for Naomi... It's a love that God has for all his people. But here's an important addition. And we touched a little bit on this last week. God's Hesed love is often at work in hidden ways. And that's one of the things that I want to talk about this morning. You know, my great fear in preparing for this sermon was that I would ruin the beauty of the story. Because it's so good. And uh, when you actually spend time in this book, you realize... Man, there are so many things going on, so many little hints and clues of the work of God uh, that it's difficult to take it all in. But what I want to give you is just one statement that I want to work throughout uh, this sermon that really is trying to get at this concept of God's Hesed love working in hidden ways. And this is a statement. The hidden hand of God often works His Hesed through other people. In order to restore the hope of some. God's 
hidden hand often works his head to do other people in order to bring a resurrection of hope in the lives those over, of those overwhelmed with grief. And so I want, I want to talk about each part of that sentence as we look at this story together. So first, let's start with this notion of the hidden hand of God. Uh, chapter one ended, and it's like act one in a four-part play, right? It, it closed with these words. And they, that is Naomi and Ruth, came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. It's easy to kind of run right past that, but it's actually a small little signal. They're like, oh, God's up to something here. Okay? They had left because it was a famine. The famine is now over and there's going to be a harvest. And when there's a barley harvest, that means there's going to be food and there's going to be beer because that's what they made with barley. Okay? So there is a hint of hope here right at the beginning that God is at work quietly but faithfully in the land of Israel. And Naomi is coming home with Ruth. And then immediately before we get into the storyline, uh, the author of the book of Ruth introduces a new character. And his name is Boaz. And we're told two things about him. One is he's actually a relative of Naomi. And he's actually a relative of her husband, her deceased husband, Elimelech. And this is like a little teaser uh, for those of you familiar with Israelite uh, family law and customs. Okay, all three of you. Um, But it's a little teaser right there. And uh, Boaz is described as a worthy man. In Hebrew, the, the phrase is, he's a gabor hayil. Gabor means a person of substance and wealth, someone of standing in the community. And hayil means worthy and excellent, virtuous or good. Every community has powerful people in it, but not all of them are good. Boaz is a gabor hayil. Now here's where the story picks up. Ruth and Naomi are back in, in Bethlehem. They don't have anything, and they have no way of surviving. So it tells us in verse 2 that Ruth the Moabite, lest you forget, asked her mother-in-law if she can go and glean in the fields to get some food. If you're unfamiliar with gleaning, it's different than harvesting. The harvesters, harvesters would go through the fields. They would cut down the stalks of grain. Sometimes some things would fall. Uh, They were told not to go back and pick up all the droppings, but to leave them there uh, for the poor and the destitute to come and pick up. And in fact, um, this is the closest thing you had to food stamps in ancient Israel, except that the gleaners actually had to do some work to get it. And there were laws in Israel that actually, they're, they're called gleaning laws, that showed special compassion to four types of people, okay? The poor, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. And Ruth, as a Moabite, and as a widow, and as the poor, qualified on three out of four of the counts. But here's the thing. She's going into those fields on behalf of her devotion to Naomi, her hesed to Naomi. But going into those fields was incredibly vulnerable. It's vulnerable for all sorts of reasons, but two that you can think of immediately is this. You're in competition with other gleaners. And sometimes they take your stuff. And sometimes they do things to you. And not only that, but as a woman gleaning in the fields by yourself, you are vulnerable to all sorts of abuse from the male harvesters. 
Here is Ruth making herself vulnerable for the sake of her loving and her devotion to Naomi, her hesed to her. And if you add, the whole, the whole scene is embedded in a period of history in Israel in which not good things are happening. It's the time of the judges, we're told, right when the book of Ruth opens. A season when everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. So Ruth says that she's looking for a field owned by someone in whose eyes she might find favor. I mean, this is such a beautifully written book. And then we get this. And this is where we really see the hidden hand of God being quick reveal. Verse 3 is critical. It's easy to pass over, but the Hebrew is a little odd. Our English text reads like this. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who we've just been introduced to, which is not a wrong translation, but it doesn't exactly bring out the curious phrasing in Hebrew. You know what it says in Hebrew? It says, and her chance chanced upon. It, in, a, in modern idiom, we'd say, and by a stroke of luck, she ends up in the field of Boaz. Now, that's a very odd thing for a Hebrew author to say, who believed that though the lot is cast in the lap, it's every decision is from the Lord. It's not how they talked. And then you look at verse 4, and it says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem into his field. And again, the narrator is suddenly drawing our attention to something. Wouldn't you know it? Boaz just happened to show up that day. So commentators have noted that these statements are a bit humorous. They're like a wink from the narrator. They're like... Okay, so Ruth sets out in this very vulnerable position. And you know, what could you believe it? She ended up in the fields of Boaz. Oh, and by the way, Boaz just happened to stop by his fields that day. And what the author is doing is he's drawing our attention to the hidden hand of God at work in the story of Ruth and Naomi. The hidden hand of God that brought the famine also brought an end to the famine. The hidden hand of, that brought Ruth to devote herself in Hesed to Naomi. The hidden hand that brought Ruth and Naomi to Bethlehem and at the beginning of the harvest. It is the same hand that brought Ruth to the field of Boaz. Not only does Ruth just happen to arrive at Boaz's field, but it just so happens that Boaz shows up at the same time. Friends, there, there is an old document uh, from the 17th century called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Maybe some of you have heard of this. Uh, but the Shorter Catechism is a teaching tool for children and adults. Uh, but when you realize it was used for children, you were like, wow, they were way smarter back then. Because like, these are big words and hard concepts. But one of, one, of the, one of the questions that it asks and then it gives the answer, and you're kind of learning theology by doing this, uh, is a question on providence. The providence of God. It says, what are God's works of providence? And this is the answer. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. God's hidden hand at work. And the narrator's pulling back the veil for a second and say, get a load of this. Ruth goes out into all this vulnerability on behalf of her devotion to Naomi. And yet God is steering her to the field of Boaz. And God is bringing Boaz to his field at just that time. That's the first part of that statement I gave you, right? The hidden hand of God, and now here's the second part, often works his hesed 
through other people. See, there's a whole lot going on in this interaction between Ruth and Boaz from verse 4 all the way to verse 16. But we're actually given the key to how we're to understand it in Naomi's speech in verse 20. What she says after learning about the interaction between Ruth and Boaz is this. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, that's the word hesed, he has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi is recognizing something, that God is actually doing his hesed through Boaz. Naomi may have come home an empty and hopeless person, but God was showing hesed to Naomi through Ruth. And now he's showing hesed to Naomi through Boaz. And Boaz isn't just some nice dude, right, that happened to stroll on the scene. He's a faithful Israelite in a time of great unfaithfulness. And through him, we get another picture of what it looks like when God shows hesed through other people. So I want to I comb through this little section because there's a lot to see. And in fact, it begins when we, when we learn something of Boaz's character from the moment that he first opens his mouth. He shows up. In the fields, and he says to his workers, the Lord be with you. And they say, the Lord bless you. It's it's like a liturgy happening. I mean, there's a pretty positive work environment that he's established. That many of you might long for. But it doesn't take him long before he notices this stranger in the field. So he asks one of his supervisors, of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? Which sounds weird in English, but what he's saying is, Whose daughter is that? Who's her husband? What clan does she belong to? Which is really a way of asking, um, who protects and provides for her? Of course, the implicit answer from those of us who have been reading the story is no one does. His supervisor answers Boaz's question and says, she's the young Moabite woman. Who came back with Naomi from where? From Moab, right? It's like, he's not going to let you forget she's a Moabite. The supervisor goes on to report an earlier conversation he had with Ruth. She came asking to glean in the fields. And I let her, and she's been doing this all day up until now. And at that point, Boaz opens his mouth. And what comes out are words that are full of compassion and generosity. And we begin to see... Through Boaz, what it looks like to do hesed. What it looks like for God to do hesed through a person. Boaz addresses her as my daughter. Now these are surprisingly tender words. Because these are words that are breaking down all sorts of barriers between them. She's a woman and he's a man. He's filthy rich and she's dirt poor. She's a Moabite. And he's a full-blooded Israelite. He has all the power, and she has none. Now look, power is not the only thing worth talking about, but it is a thing. It is a thing. And we should note carefully how Boaz uses his power. First, he tells her, verse 8, you don't need to go to any other field. Just follow the young women who are harvesting and gather all you can, which is a way of saying... I'm going to make sure you're going to have enough here. And then in verse 9, he tells her, Have I not commanded all my male workers not to touch you? 
You don't have to worry about sexual harassment. I have a zero tolerance policy for that. In fact, this is the first anti-sexual harassment policy in a workplace we find recorded in the Bible. It's a way of, 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 of Boaz saying to her, I'm going to make sure that you're safe here. Last but not least, he says, and if you get thirsty, you can drink from the vessels my male harvesters use. Now, this is fascinating. In that day, foreigners would normally draw water for the Israelites, or vice versa if you're in a different land, and women would draw water for men. But Ruth gets to quench her thirst from the very cisterns that these men have, have, have drawn water for. She's being treated like one of his best employees. And it's a way of him saying to her, I'm going to make sure you're cared for here. Ruth was, I mean, all of this is extraordinary and it's unexpected because all of this is hesed. It's what it looks like to do hesed. Ruth was financially destitute. She's a potential object of ethnic prejudice. She's vulnerable to assault. But Boaz steps in and says, you're going to have enough here. You're going to be safe here. You will be cared for here. All of his words carefully crafted to care for her. And Ruth is completely overwhelmed. She falls on her face and she says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Did you, did you notice those words? Boaz took notice of her. He saw her. He acknowledged her. He dignified her, even though she's a Moabite roaming around in his fields. And he treated her as a person to be loved. It's as if Ruth is saying to him, you have noticed the unnoticed. Now, we get a little hint here at what this must have been like for Ruth in her devotion to Naomi. That she is enduring in love and showing hesed to her mother-in-law, right? When her mother-in-law doesn't really see her. When she came back to Bethlehem, she said, I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty and Ruth is standing right there. But Ruth has been engaged in a hesed operation towards Naomi. And when you have endured in love unnoticed for a long period of time and then someone notices you, it can be hard to take it all in. Ruth is on her face. Say, hi, why do you see me? Why have I found favor in your eyes? Well, why did Boaz take notice of her? And this is what Boaz says in verse 11. I, I've heard all about you. I've heard about what you, you're doing for your mother-in-law. You're the one that everyone is talking about. I mean, Boaz here is actually downplaying what he's doing. And he's giving all the honor to Ruth and her faithful love to Naomi. But he even goes further. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. The Lord, the God of Israel, right? Generously reward you, Ruth, the Moabite, who have devoted yourself to Naomi. Boaz believes in a God who is wildly generous and richly rewards those who engage in faithful love. And the crazy thing is right now, Boaz is actually the agent of it. He's the agent of God's generosity, Right? He has the hidden hand working in and through his life to show Hesed 
to this family. And then he drops this line about Ruth. He, he says, the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz, a man of faith, is recognizing in Ruth a woman of faith. Though she's a Moabite, she has shifted her spiritual allegiance to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and she has found refuge under his care. Refuge under his wings. I mean, this is one of those images that the Bible gives us, right, of God that's, that's really beautiful and powerful. It's a mother bird right, hiding its chicklets under her wings. And they're saying that's, that's what it means to have faith in God is to find refuge in him. Now, that can sound sweet and sentimental, but if you've ever seen a mother bird put the chicklets under the wings like in a storm, it's a beautiful thing. Taking the storm, right, to protect her defenseless young. Ruth is finding refuge under Yahweh's wings. And Ruth, after hearing all this, melts into gratitude. I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not even one of your servants. Once again, a little peek into her emotional life. She had been scared. She was anxious. She was worried and afraid. Right? But now she's comforted. The Hebrew is, you spoke to my heart. You spoke to my heart. And and it's crazy too. In verse 10, Ruth is amazed that, that Boaz would show favor to her as a Moabite. In verse 13, she's amazed that he would show favor to a servant. And it's the word that's used here is for like the lowest of the lowest rank. And she's like, I'm not even that. And this is beautiful because this is what Hesed does. Is it crosses all sorts of boundaries. Class, rank, you know, race, blah, 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 blah. Right? Hesed cuts through it all. And I want you to pause for a second. Ruth had expressed her desire to Naomi to find a field owned by someone in whose eyes she might find favor. And here she is, favored by Boaz. The hidden hand of God, working his hesed through people. Yahweh had heard her heart and he had answered. And here's something else beautiful. Boaz is actually being used as the wings of God. To bring protection and provision for her. Boaz is using all his power for love. Not romantic love, hesed love. There's not a hint of romantic attraction here anywhere. It's not what the story is about. Boaz is using his power for love. And this should be a stinging rebuke to those of us who are so in love with power. Hesed turns it inside out and upside down. Whatever power you have, hesed makes you use it for loving your neighbor and others. And the story goes on. There's even more. Verse 14, by the way, is not part of the same conversation. It's later because it says, At mealtime, Boaz invites her to dine with him and his other co-workers. Now, I I don't know if you've ever had to move in your life. Um, Maybe had one of those moves that happened at uh, the most vulnerable season of your adolescence, which was middle school, right? Got to get an amen. And uh, you move to a new place. And you go to school and it's your first day. What is the most vulnerable time that you experience? It's lunchtime. It's the cafeteria. It's like, who am I going to sit with? Am I going to be by myself? Like, who's going to invite me in? Will they laugh at me? Will I be brought in to be made fun of? Like, these are vulnerable moments. Well, here's the thing. Boaz invites her to the table to dine with him. 
In the ancient world, dining with someone was a, was, a, was a way of extending hospitality and exclusion. You're part of this. And that Boaz ate with his harvesters is actually pretty cool. But then he invites this stranger to join them. Like, had to catch everybody by surprise. And so suddenly, here's Ruth eating the good bread. And Boaz is saying, dip, dip it in the condiment sauce over here. That's what the whole thing about dipping it in the wine is. And Boaz even, it says, personally passed the roasted grain to her. It's like he's heaping food in front of her. He's serving her. He's attending to her needs. This is as in love. It gets personally involved. And she is filled to the full so much that she can't finish everything and ends up taking home the leftovers to Naomi. But Boaz isn't done yet in this scene. Ruth gets up from the table apparently before everybody else, and she goes out to glean some more because they're starving. And the other workers are still at the table, and Boaz tells them, verse 15, hey, let her glean even among the sheaves. That wasn't required by law. But he says if she wanders into some places that you don't think she's supposed to be, like, let her do it. And then he adds, and actually I want you to pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. Those ones that you've already wrapped up and you're going to take to be beaten out and threshed, right? Pull some out. Drop them on the ground. Let her pick it up. And then both, both commands, Boaz says, don't reproach her. Don't re- rebuke her. Don't say, hey, you're stepping out of line here. You're getting too big for your britches, you know? Boaz's provision and protection is like so comprehensive here. Do nothing to humiliate or insult or embarrass her. No harsh words, no snide comments, no dirty looks, no squinty eyes. Because Boaz is concerned not just for her hunger, but for her overall well-being as a foreigner and as a vulnerable woman. And he dignifies her with work. Boaz goes beyond the letter of the law and unfolds the heart of it, which is God's heart. And he's actually including others in this work. He's got his workers going to work, Hesed. The boss is encouraging them to give away his stuff. They're invited to participate in this circle of Hesed. This is what Hesed does. It multiplies, right? It evokes loves in, in others. It draws them in. And the whole thing is just disrupting to the whole scene that's going down in this story. Think about it. Ruth's love and devotion to Naomi disrupted Naomi's hopelessness and emptiness. She just hasn't seen it yet. Ruth's love and devotion to Naomi actually disrupted Boaz's world. She wanders into his field by the hand of God. He's like, that's the one everybody's been talking about. Boaz's provision and protection disrupted Ruth's vulnerability and fear. He says, you're going to be safe here. You're going to have enough here. You're going to be cared for here. And Boaz's provision and protection will ultimately, as we'll see in a second, disrupt Naomi's grief. But all of it, as we'll see by the end of the story, disrupted the city of Bethlehem. In the time of the judges, when Israel had no king and everyone was doing right in their own eyes, we get beautiful pictures of faithfulness, of hesed. And like, here's, here's an aside. Do you, One thing that everybody seems to be talking about these days is community, right? Maybe you're here not because you're interested in Jesus, but you're actually interested in community. You're lonely, you know? It's understandable. 
But the thing is, is we're all talking about it, but we, we don't seem to know how to do it or get it or keep it. And one of the things we just say is like, okay, I'm going to try to form community around common interests. But of course, that always ends up excluding tons of people. And then we say, no, no I'm going to do community by finding a place where I feel really comfortable, where I feel welcomed and loved. And that's a great thing, you know, but that changes. And the moment you feel uncomfortable, you're like, I'm not sure this is my community anymore. You see, the Bible gives us a different center to this whole search. We make the feeling of welcome and inclusion be the center of our search. I, I just need to find my community, my people, you know. It always ends in disappointment. Because we're selfish. <laughs> and sin ruins everything, right? But when you make the center, the focus is, where can I show Hesed love? What you find is this circle getting larger and larger and larger because it creates community. What Ruth is experiencing at this moment is Hesed love from God through Boaz. What Boaz has seen in Ruth is Hesed love for Naomi. And it's going to work on his life. And the circle is expanding now, we'll see, to actually bring a resurrection of hope in Naomi's life. And that's the last part. Ruth gleaned until evening. And then she went home with a huge pile, an enormous pile. She had an ephah of barley to bring home. That's, that's about 30 pounds, if I understand correctly, which would be like a half a month's wages gathered in a single day. Now, I don't know how she got it from the fields to Bethlehem. It doesn't tell us, and I don't think wheelbarrows were invented yet, uh, but some way it got there. So you can imagine Naomi's surprise when Ruth comes home with this loot, and she'd saved her leftovers from her meal to bring to Naomi. So Naomi sees Ruth and says, where in the world did you glean today? And there's like a series of rapid-fire questions that end with her kind of bursting forth with praise. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth says, oh yeah, um, his name is, is, is Boaz. Now, Naomi didn't know that Ruth had been in Boaz's field. And, and, and Ruth didn't know who Boaz was, but Naomi does. And this is when Naomi totally loses it. She erupts in gratitude. And these words are vital to understanding the whole chapter and the whole book. She says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, chesed, has not forsaken the living or the dead. God has been doing chesed through Boaz. And she's doing the math and she's like, the Lord has not forgotten his chesed. Not towards the living, Ruth and Naomi. Not towards the dead, Elimelech, her deceased husband, and her two sons, Malon and Kilion. It was Hesed that brought Ruth to devote herself to Naomi. It was Hesed that brought Ruth to the field of Boaz. It was Hesed that brought Boaz to Ruth. It was Hesed that God has done through Boaz's treatment of Ruth. It's Hesed all around. But Naomi just hadn't seen it until now. Naomi is having a personal revival at this moment. She has moved from where she was at the end of the last chapter saying, Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. For the Lord has dealt bitterly to, with me. To now the Lord has not forgotten to show his hesed. He has not forsaken the living or the dead. The Lord is filling up the one who thought she was empty. 
And not just with food and a plan for provision and protection throughout harvest time, but he's filling her up with hope. And he's doing this, as one person put it, by outloving her grief. How much did Naomi do to get here into this place? The answer is nothing at all. She didn't tell Ruth to go to Boaz's field. She didn't tell Ruth who Boaz was. She didn't orchestrate Boaz's arrival. She did nothing to make Boaz take notice of Ruth. It was the hidden hand of Hesed all around. And now Naomi's, Naomi's coming apart. Complete turnaround. And she shares with Ruth what Ruth doesn't know. Um, this Boaz, who has been the Lord, agent of the Lord's Hesed to us, he's actually our relative and he's one of our redeemers. Yet the wheels are turning in her mind. She's connecting dots. She's like, what might God be up to here? You know, it's the, the, the words she uses to describe Boaz, one of our redeemers, uh, that's actually a, a technical legal term. And it comes into play when an, a family member is in great distress. You read about this in Leviticus chapter 25. If you suffered financial destitution so much so that you had to uh, sell your land to survive. Think about selling your home, okay, if you have one, or selling all your stuff if you don't. Your nearest relative would step in and buy it back for you to protect the family inheritance too. And if you were so economically ruined that you had to hire yourself out as a slave or an indentured servant, your redeemer, your goel, Closest family member would step in and buy you back. A goel, a redeemer, is someone who owns the problem, who gets involved at personal expense to themselves. A goel, it's someone who doesn't just tell you to go get some help, but actually picks up the phone, makes the appointment for you, and drives you to the doctor. Right? A goel is a person who shows up in your life right, and does the work at personal cost to themselves. Doesn't just write a check, but lets the weight of the problem come on him or her. That was the vision of a goel in the law of Moses. And Naomi's saying, Boaz is supposed to be one of these for us. And it's already underway. But for now, she keeps most of this to herself. But what can't be hidden is her hope. Naomi's hope is reviving. I mean, have you ever gone through a season like this? Time when your heart was crushed to bits and you, you, you had lost all sense of God's love for you and when you thought you had no future and then bam, like God shows up in your life and works in your life through somebody testifying to his hesed love and you begin to wonder, what might God be up to here? What is God up to? Well, guess what? You're going to have to come back next week because uh, there's two more chapters and uh, I got to leave some stuff for, for iron. Uh, but I hit it at last week. But here, here's, here's the thing. Um, the way this chapter ends is Ruth going and gleaning week after week. It looks like for up to six weeks to, to two months in the fields of Boaz. Because it says not only through the barley harvest, but through the wheat harvest. And uh, the chapter ends, and we're going we're gonna to pick up uh, there next week. But here's what we need to take away. is the story of... The book of Ruth is a story about God's work in Naomi's life, which becomes a picture of his work in the life of all his people. He is restoring hope to a hopeless person through people who haven't given up on the idea that God remains faithful to his covenant.
and loves his people. Ruth is doing hesed for Naomi. Boaz is doing hesed for Ruth. And this circle of hesed begins to encompass Naomi. And it restores her hope. And I want to draw out two quick implications of this. The first is sometimes in our darkest hours, it is our tears that blind us to God's hesed right in front of us. Just because you feel like God has abandoned you doesn't mean he has. That's not how he rolls. He is a faithful God. Faithful to his promises. Faithful in his love. The second thing is this. Sometimes we actually need to be considering to whom are we called to be an expression of God's hesed. Because if God in his hidden hand and his hidden ways, works his hesed into the lives of people, through people who are banking on his promises. That means that could be you, that could be me. Expressions of devotion, unrelenting and self-sacrificial love. So when you take this whole story in, by the time we get to the end, and you marvel at God's faithfulness to Naomi, who had been lost in bitterness and saying things that weren't true about God, and God came after her, Right? You begin to see how God loves someone in all their brokenness and twistedness and bitterness. It certainly actually has a way of making you want to go love people that same way too. But that's actually the second thing. The first is actually understanding this is how God loves you. The greatest act of Hesed ultimately comes through one person Jesus, the Son of God. In Jesus, we see God's hesed not just through another broken person like ourselves, but completely embodied in one who was without sin. When John is writing his gospel, he opens with these words, that the word, which is a reference to Jesus, who was with God and who was God from the beginning, right, took on flesh. We've seen his glory, full of grace and truth, full of hesed. Jesus is hesed with flesh on it. And it goes beyond the law. It says the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. And why is that? Because Jesus is the ultimate goel, redeemer. He comes for the destitute. He owns the problem at great cost to himself. He redeems and buys back from slavery to sin and death. And the way the New Testament puts it in Titus 2.14 is that he redeems us in order to purify us and make us a people who are zealous for good works. What good works does he call us to? Works of hesed. Faithful love and devotion to others. They go beyond the requirement of the law because it's an imitation of the Father's undying love for us expressed in Jesus Christ. Have you ever asked yourself, what would it be like if I built my life on God's hesed for me? Not on my resume, not on my romances, not on my children, not on my job prospects, not on my money, not on my accomplishments, not on my potential, but on his love, his faithful covenant love. And then what would it look like if I were to spend my life trying to do hesed in response to God's hesed? Who might God be calling you to notice today? Who, who might he be asking you to show hesed to? It could be a neighbor, it could be a coworker, it could be a family member.
the important thing is this, is you're not going to actually have the resources to pour yourself out like this till you come face to face the reality of God's love for you and all your brokenness and twistedness and me as well. You know, I, I get texts from time to time where people say like, hey, um, I'm praying for you. Is there anything specific that, you, that I could be praying for for you? And uh, over the years, I found myself saying one thing over and over and over again. And that is pray that my children will love Jesus and love others because they know how much he loves them. Why is that my prayer? Because that's how the broken are made whole. That's how the selfish are made selfless, right? That's how the empty are made full. And that is how the hopeless recover hope. And that's the story of Naomi and what God did in her life. And it is a story about Hesed love that is the kind of love that he doesn't just have for Naomi, but he has for all his people. And it takes on flesh in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, for this story of what you did in Naomi's life and uh, how the circle of Hesed just grows and multiplies and encompasses more. God, we want to experience your Hesed love for us that deals with our sin and with our shame, that deals with our weakness and uh, our doubt, um, that deals with our boredom and our dissatisfaction. Um, your, your Hesed love is what we need to fill the emptiness and to forgive the guilt and uh, to make new our hearts. And Lord, we, we want you to do that for us. And you want, uh, we want you to shape us into people who, who go out in fullness to pour ourselves out and do Hesed for others. So God, by your spirit, work this in our lives. Help us to live by this story, the story of your Hesed love, instead of the story of building our own little kingdoms. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.